Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. We continue our podcasts about the war which Russia started against Ukraine. This series is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center, two Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. We are making this podcast with Tetyana Oharko, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Thank you for staying with us and for listening to our podcasts. So today we are going to talk about what's happening in the south, south of Ukraine, Kherson Oblast in particular, which Russians occupied quite quickly. And uh, now there are signs that they are uh, depriving Ukrainians who, who are there of the agricultural equipment, of grain, and uh, of the seeds uh, to make crops for uh, for the next year. And this is very dramatic, uh, dramatic development, because we in Ukraine know this story because it happened to us several times already. Yes, that's it. So we are to- we were talking a lot about Donbass, about this decisive battle in the east, in Donbass, but we are maybe talking not enough about South. South and Kherson, namely Kherson, is the only city, only big city occupied by Russia in the beginning of this war. And for that moment, the situation is unchanged. So they now they control Kherson and Oblast, and their plans are to attach this Kherson Oblast to Crimea. And the biggest plan is to uh, to make a kind of corridor coming from Russia through Donbass to Kherson and maybe even to to to, to this uh, later to the to the west, just to make it to cut uh, Ukraine from the sea. So this is a bigger plan. We do understand that this is not a realistic plan for the moment because they were unable to take Mykolaiv, not not to speak about Odessa. Uh, but South is occupied, and as far as this territory is ex- extremely difficult to reconquer because of Dnieper River, because of all all kind of smaller rivers there, is for Ukrainian army is a strategic battle there, and it will not come in coming weeks. What Russians do in the meanwhile? In the meanwhile, Russians are talking already for many days. Uh, for many weeks even, about so-called referendum in Kherson. And for example, we are on the 27th of April today, and they initially announced a kind of referendum for today, for 27th April, but it was postponed to the mid-May at that very moment. They are talking about this kind of referendum where they will be asking if pretending to ask local people if they want to be a kind of independent republic as Donetsk and Lugansk. We do understand the manner how these referendums were organized in Donetsk and Lugansk. They don't really need people for that. They don't really need any kind of real, real vote for that. But the problem is that they do control Kherson and uh, and the region. At the same time, what we do know about Kherson is that they are already mobilizing people, I mean, m- mostly men, sure, for sure, uh, to combat in their army. This uh, information is very preoccupying for, for, for Ukrainians because what they try to organize, they try to organize Ukrainian making war against Ukrainians, what they were already doing in Donetsk and in Lugansk. And it's quite clear that Ukrainians, Ukrainian army will be will be killing its own citizens. It's a tragedy. But 
what we are going to discuss today is not only this military aspect, but also this important humanitarian aspect. Uh, what we know from testimonies from people who, who, who were living in Kherson until lately, we still have some, um, some, people, some, some people we know personally who left Kherson one week ago. They were talking about prices for food. They were talking about extremely high prices for, for food and about shortages. I mean, they were unable to buy uh, basic food And at the same time, the Russians were bringing humanitarian aid, what they call humanitarian aid, and making photos for sure, showing that the Russian army is helping um, people in Kherson and the Ukrainians, they punish them because they were unable to for supplies. So uh, uh, Kherson and Oblast, they are closed for any kind of commercial goods from Ukraine, that's clear. And that's why... We can explain these prices. But now the situation comes even more dramatic. Let's also not forget that Kherson is now closed. So a few days ago, since a few days ago, you cannot leave the area. And also our acquaintances, we know people who left Kherson or Kherson Oblast. And they were like, uh, it seems that in the in the last echelons, in the last, uh, uh, taking the last opportunities to leave. So unfortunately, Russians are blocking people for from evacuating from Kherson. And they are now beginning to confiscate food. Not only there are shortages, Kherson is a rich region. You know, Kherson Oblast, one of the the most rich in terms of agriculture. Kherson and Mykolaiv and the agriculture have been flourishing. Uh, before the occupation, so one of the best regions in terms of exporting food. And now they are really starting to confiscate this food, to confiscate grain, to confiscate uh, <coughs> agricultural equipment. And just today we, we have seen the news on the website on the of the legislative board of Krasnoyarsk Krai. And the statement says that there is a kind of instruction to uh fill the the font uh, the, the fill the funds of agricultural products it is planned to fill the fund of or the facility for agricultural products uh thanks to the supplies from ukraine well interesting right i i'm translating this statement it's an official order to get food from ukraine from the occupied territories. In the frameworks of implementation of the strategy of state support to agricultural complex, uh, so it's, it's in the framework that state supports Russian agricultural complex, and therefore it robs another country, right? So in the frameworks of this and development of agricultural territories of the Krai, Krasnoyarsky uh, Krai, uh, the, uh, the committee of the legislative board on agriculture decided to initiate supplies of agricultural products from Ukraine from uh, especially from the Kherson Oblast which is partially taken under control of Russian armed forces in the frameworks of the special operations uh, or in Ukraine so they're openly saying that There is a shortage in Krasnoyarsky Krai. There is a shortage of uh, vegetables, 
of uh, grain because of the implementation of foreign sanctions, right? So uh, the expropriation of the, uh, how to say it, uh, expropriation of the surpluses of uh, last year's and this year's harvest of the farmers of the Kherson region will become one of the instruments of helping the small forms of economics in Krasnoyarsky Krai. Well, can can you imagine? I mean, they are openly saying that they're expropriating of the surpluses of last year's and this year's harvest of Kherson region. They're trying to get pragmatic because, well... What we see in other regions, say, destroyed, well, let's look at what, what's happening in Mariupol. They have no economic profit of Mariupol because if you, if even they take Mariupol, it's a kind of ruin. In Donetsk uh, region and Lugansk region, I mean, all these combat zones, there are only ruins there. You cannot do anything there because everything is mined. You know, even if they take these territories without people or maybe with some people living in, in ruins, there is no economic uh, meaning, I mean, in that. So what they try to compensate maybe this war, saying that, look, we'll, we'll take Kherson, it is rich, it is not destroyed. Why it's not destroyed? Be- because there were no combats, because they were able to take Kherson quite quickly in the beginning, the first week of the war. They were already controlling Kherson, the only big city. That's why they're trying to, and they do, they start, really start uh, uh, suffering from sanctions. I mean, uh, on, on every level, but on the level of uh, agriculture, why not? So they're trying to, to be pragmatic and to say, look, what what we can do about that? Not only political, I know, political meaning of that, saying that, and they are sure of themselves. I mean, they are trying to, uh, this referendum will be needed, will be needed exactly for, for, for this, in fact just to, to use this region to enrich Russia. But let's say what is going on, because we are Ukrainians know what is going on. We, we uh, experienced that 100 years ago. It was the same during Holodomor. Let's say it openly. Russians are preparing the artificial famine right now in the agricultural regions of Ukraine. Because at that time, in the early 30s, it was the same. Uh, Russia was, I mean, Soviet Union was going through industrialization and they need to do something with the so-called surpluses to sell them to the West to get, you know, money to buy machines for Stalin's industrialization. This costed Ukrainian, cost Ukrainian at least 4 million lives of Ukrainian peasants who were starved to death in 32-33. Now, it seems we don't know about the scale yet, but it seems that they are, you know, going in the same direction. They go to another country. They have their shortages in the in, in that Russia, which basically was always quite poor in terms of cap- uh, being capable of producing good foodstuff. That's what we see from uh, the, uh, you know, uh, from the phone calls from the Russian soldiers that they are uh, surprised with the quality of food in Ukraine. So now they will be confiscating the the food, not the surpluses of food, but simply the the remains of food who which are in the Kherson Oblast. 
That's it. I mean, the, crimes after the crime. Crime so after the crime. Genocide in 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 Mariupol, in other places, and then these uh, Holodomor gestures. You know, at least they they start to do the same thing. So they are trying to accumulate every crime they could could, could do this. And here you know, in we, we are kind of comparing Putin with Hitler, and and so on and so forth. You know, what's the problem? I mean, of course, you know, there is a discussion of these terms. Is it a genocide, not a genocide? But look, Hitler was, uh, you know, ruling Germany for a little bit more than 10 years. He did his horrible crimes. He was defeated. And then it's gone. And the Nazism from Germany, from Europe, is gone. And Europe was starting, you know, being civilized and creating European Union, etc. Here in this geography, we see something repeating what happened 100 years ago, less than 100 years ago. So it's a new genocide, repeating genocide. And the Holodomor was also genocide who was actually repeating what happened in the early 20s. And then you go deeper, deeper in history. So here the evil was not punished. It was not uh, never punished. It was never, uh, never redeemed. It was never, uh, no, no, nobody, nobody said sorry for this. And nobody was punished for this. And therefore we have the repetition of genocide. This vicious circle, in fact. So the story repeats itself simply because there were no official recognition of all these crimes. I remember we had a lot of a lot of discussions with Russians maybe 10 years ago about Holodomor and they were still unable to recognize that the, it was about punishment by the famine so it was a kind of not not only the their the argument was that it's, it, it was only the reason because of poor harvest in the two, uh, 24, 22, 10, 23, and that Russians, 30, 32, uh, 30, 32, 33, <coughs> Before and, 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 and that Russians, Russian people suffered also from these, um, uh, from these shortages, and that they were also dying, and they never recognized this political will of Stalin to eliminate Ukrainian peasantry. I mean, not Ukrainians, but also people who were active in the agriculture. So it was a this Soviet communist idea of the struggle between the proletariat and between peasants. So it was it has many dimensions. And the problem for us, and that's why we are reacting so quickly to that, to, to first news about Kherson, because we don't understand what the story is about. So they're still able to organize this kind of uh, extreme, extreme poverty and even famine in these territories. Because we don't understand, they don't need Ukrainians in these territories. They need territories in, in the south. They can bring some new Russians. We don't know, as they did in Crimea. We do remember in Crimea, many people left Crimea after the annexation. They uh, they were able to bring quite a lot of people to the seaside. So it's a good climate in Crimea. And, and then Russians were coming, were buying flats, apartments, houses in Crimea. And they are still able to do the same thing with Kherson. And 
this is really dramatic for and, us. And let's not be naive, because some people can think, okay, but famine is not possible, we are in 21st century, everything is so developed, uh, you cannot compare it with, you know, the 1920s, 1930s. I would tell you, we are much more fragile right now, because we are all dependent on supplies. We are, you know, accustomed to living in uh, in big cities. You go to your shop, you go to your supermarket, everything is fine. But even we, even us, who did not experience, you know, this horrible, this hell on earth in Mariupol, even us during the, um, basically, approaching of the Russian army here to Kiev, we had shortages of medicines very quickly, almost no goods, food stuff in the supermarkets. And and that means that Kyiv did not experience, I mean, Kyiv, the central Kyiv, not speaking about the suburbs, did not experience the, the real the real war, except for some some Russian tanks in Obolon, etc., or in, uh, in Nivki or, or something like that. But you just cut supplies and imagine you are in the city, you are not a peasant, because if you are a peasant, you probably have something, you know, in the in the underground. And that's it. And in a matter of two, three days, imagine you don't have water. This was the situation in Mariupol. We will read some of the testimonies today. So this is it. And uh, famine in today's world, industrialized world, which all is dependent on, on supplies, supply chains, etc., where individual, one you know, simple, weak individual basically becomes helpless if all the supply chains are cut. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, That was our, one of our primary lessons from the war, that the civilization is extremely fragile today. So you never, we, we could not imagine that you could not buy food just in two days after the beginning of the war. We had shortages of bread even in Kiev and shortages of, of everything, in fact. So it comes very fast. And what is happening in Kherson, what people told us, the prices, I mean, five times higher than in Kiev. And we imagine people who live there, they just don't have money for that. So imagine, I don't know, normal people, they just cannot, they're unable to buy food for the money they have. And we are in spring, so I mean, we don't, we still don't have harvest from this year, and people just will be deprived of everything. Uh, and surely enough, Russian army will, will force these people to do whatever they want to get food, to, to get humanitarian aid. I mean, vote for them, I don't know, uh, teach Russian language in schools or whatever. We do know for today, for example, that there were another meeting today against this referendum because uh, Kherson, people in Kherson, that they are extremely courageous. You mean another demonstration? Another demonstration. And uh, there were four people wounded uh, during this demonstration because Russians, they were throwing some explosives to these people. Uh, they're stronger. When you are in occupied territories, you can you can resist for for for, for they, some time. Yes, they are already course. resisting for two for two months, but they can they cannot last for 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 many weeks. You know. Of course, there are still partisans. You know, in Kherson, in Melitopol, we know we we hear the reports that uh, even there are uh, there are killings. You know, of Russian active Russian I don't know soldiers pro-Russian activists, etc. 
But this is the horrible situation. And come on, guys, this is Europe. So we are talking about the possibility of a famine in agriculturally rich uh, region in Europe. But let's talk about what Russians are saying. And uh, we continue to monitor Russian propaganda. And uh, it's remarkable. It's horrible. It's inhumane how they distort all this picture. Because what they're saying, to, to cut the long story short, that it is, of course, the blame of the West. It is preparing a famine in Ukraine. Okay, so again, Russian troops entered Ukrainian territory. Russian troops went to Kherson Oblast, confisc are confiscating Ukrainian grain, confiscating Ukrainian agricultural machines, and they are saying that it is all because of the West. Because of the West. Now let's look at the argument. So, the thing is that uh, Euro Euro European countries are now trying to think how to help Ukrainian economy because Ukrainian economy doesn't can cannot use ports. Uh, Ukrainian economy is very dependent on uh, on agricultural and other other exports. We cannot really export our agricultural products. We have a free trade area with the European Union. We have a free trade area with Britain. This free trade area uh, on some specific agricultural products, 5% of Ukrainian agricultural trade, is limited. So it's not 100%. It's limited by the so-called quotas, tariff quotas. That means that you can export a certain amount of grain tariff-free, and then there is a tariff applied to your uh, to your exports. So what are Europeans, what Brits are now doing, they are lifting these this quotas, saying that, look, Ukrainians, you can export everything tariff-free to us. E EU is considering, we have the news today, that EU is considering removing all remaining tariff and qu quota re uh, requirements on Ukrainian exports. You know, to make this free trade area competitive, absolute, yeah, and to absolute. make to make Ukrainian food competitive. So. Yeah, so, so obviously, it, it, obviously, th this will make Ukrainian food cheaper in the European market and more uh, more capable of uh, yeah, competitive entry. on the U European market. So, so precisely, it means that Europe is no, no more protecting its market. I mean, agricultural market from Ukraine as it did before because we were not a member of European Union. So now it's a kind of a political gesture of solidarity from the European and, Union. And of course, if Ukrainian ports are not working, Proper. our key and um, key uh, destination countries were Africa and Asia, not even Europe, if we are talking about agricultural exports. So basically we were exporting our, our goods mostly to countries like Egypt or Morocco or Southeast uh, Asia. So we depend on sea. But, yeah, but we did it from Mariupol, from Berdyansk, from Azov Sea, and from Odessa. But Odessa port is not functioning properly because uh, the sea is also mined. What 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 uh, what they say is mined against these uh, Ukrainian ships. So it's extremely difficult to get out of Ukraine uh, to export. I mean, it, it ruins Ukrainian economy. So in this situation, uh, the European Union says, okay. We probably will not compensate all your losses, but let's try and let's have some of the Ukrainian experts going to the European Union through railroads or whatever. How Russians are reacting on this? Okay, they're saying that the West wants to buy all food from Ukraine so that Ukrainians would starve. 
Russian propagandist Sergei Kolasnikov, Kolasnikov, I think, writes that, quote, it seems that collective Europe will repeat Ukrainian famine organized by Poland in the 1930s. So it's Poland. Poland. It's, it's not Stalin. It's Poland who organized the Ukrainian famine in, in the 30s. Can you, can you get the logic? I, I, I don't get the logic. But at least he, it's, it's ridiculous because it's, at least he recognizes the Ukrainian famine. Yeah. Well, that's already... But organized by Poland, so yes. this is a kind of extreme absurd lie. Only in the current configuration, a military defeat will be added to it along with the destruction of critical infrastructure and mass casualties. He adds, uh, but he does not add somehow that it is Russia who provoked all that. He also writes that the world, quote, the world is plunging into an unprecedented food crisis due to anti-Russian sanctions by the West. Alek Tsarev, this is a former Ukrainian politician who is now collaborator with Russia, urged... He was always collaborator with Russia, yes, by he, the way. Yes, he was always collaborator, that's true. Urged the Russian military to bomb the Ukrainian railway further so that export of Ukrainian grain would not be possible. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. that's uh, very logic. Yeah, because uh, yes, so let's let's bomb Ukrainian, so that Ukrainian economy doesn't function at all. So this is it. Can you imagine that? I mean, th- we are going through a probably major another major tragedy, genocidal tragedy, organized by the Russians, and Russians are blaming whom? The West for. It's it's stupid. I mean, it's it's it's, it's just absolutely it's, it's 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 this evil logic. I don't know for blaming others for what you are already doing or what you've done, and what you were al- always doing. In fact, and this is this is so so remarkable lack of understanding of its own responsibility that you are doing that. You know, I I I, I just uh, it's fantastic how they use this word. The Russia has been dragged into this war. Who dragged you into this war? Who dragged your Russian tanks? Who dragged your soldiers into this war? Aren't they themselves who crossed the border, went into Ukrainian houses, raped Ukrainian women, killed, uh, you know, shelled uh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian civilian cars? Who dragged them? Why? They always think that it is somebody else. They're so they imagining uh, dangers coming from nature whatsoever. There is no reason to to argue with them because they just don't understand the logical arguments. When before the war, why? Let, let's talk about it. We never talked about the fact why nobody in Ukraine believed that Russia could attack Ukraine. So we received a lot of information from uh, from foreign intelligence. I don't know, maps were published in, in our media, but nobody believed. Now when you are talking even to military, even to intel- Ukrainian intelligence, nobody was convinced that this would happen. Why? Because, because there were arguments against, because everybody understood that there could be no military success for Russia with 200,000 troops on the border, and if you attack in every direction. So it was clear for Ukrainians in the beginning, that's why we were trying to imagine that they were using the same logic and the same arguments and that, that we were. But in fact, 
they are doing these illogical, I don't know, absurd things, actions, and they started this cruel war just in order to start it. it they, they had no, no chance to succeed. They had really no chance to succeed. But they but, had a but chance. But they started it. So when you are asking, trying to understand Russia, so let's maybe put it simply, you can never understand, understand Russia because what they do, they are uh, trying to, they are doing things that we cannot understand from the rational point of view, simply. Yes, they cannot win this war, but they can destroy everything. They can lead Not everything. They are unable they, to destroy they everything. They, they, they're able to destroy what they can, what, they, what, what we let them destroy. But this is not, a, I mean, this is not a half of Ukraine. This is not, I don't know, 30% of Ukraine. They can destroy where, where we uh, allow them to get, but they're too weak. To, to destroy everything. They cannot do that. Of course. I mean, everything that they see, that they capture, etc. Now, briefly, what's happening in the East right now? We also are talking about this. So, what Ukraine needs? Ukraine needs armaments. It is being supplied. We have seen a big meeting yesterday on, on Rammstein. It's an, an, in Germany, organized by Americans, by NATO. It's unprecedented meeting. Ukrainians were there. It's very good that the process is going on. It's very good that Americans are, you know, changing the rhetoric. They are saying that not only they want Ukrainians to win, but also they want uh, to weaken Russia so that it never happens again. And it's very important because we stress here in this podcast that a new genocide is is coming, and it's it 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 will repeat something which already happened. And it's also important. I mean, this statement about the weakening in Russia. It is also important because we have we have to make this war the last war of Vladimir Putin and the last war of this current Russia, because if it, if they are not destroyed in a if there is a no no really really a military defeat. I mean, there will be no process of recognition and no punishment. And they will repeat, I don't know, five years later. So what we really need now, we really to stop just this story about this former empire being able to attack its neighbors. And to do that, we need military defeat and we need this kind of, I don't know, punishment, real punishment, in order to get them know, I mean, all the population of, of, Russia, of Russian Federation, to get to know that they are guilty. We, we have to get them to know every crime they committed in Ukraine and to recognize it. And we also have to understand something that we repeat here all the time that uh, yes we should we can we should admire Ukrainian bravery we should admire Ukrainian soldiers even Ukrainian farmers but Ukrainian resources are far less than Russia's resources in terms of military in terms of shells in terms of missiles in terms of rockets in terms of tanks etc and it's, people yeah and people and money it's 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 really it's can be 10 times, sometimes 50 times, 100 times less. Therefore, we need so much international support. For example, now in Donbass, not only high-precision weapons, which are going on, but also shells yeah, to, to, to be used. This is it. So we, uh, we end, typically we end our podcasts on, uh, on testimonials. And we have two testimonials from Mariupol. 
one of it uh, i will not read them all because they're quite long you you can always find them on our twitter ukraine world also on our website ukraineworld.org we collect these testimonies by by people we're trying to uh, to be brief so tetiana during the first week of the war tetiana and her family stayed at home she her husband and 13 year old daughter and a dog her husband set up a shelter and brought people there from more dangerous areas. When fighting started near the house, I, rem- uh, I remind you that this is Mariupol, her family moved, moved in with, the, with their parents. Air raids on the city soon began. In such conditions, food was prepared on the street. Snow was melted on the hearth for people to have water. Yeah, the... Uh, we have everybody uh, uh, from everywhere we have this testimony that water was cut in Mariupol on, on the 2nd of March and people just melted the snow to get some some water to drink one day they woke up because the windows of the house were blown out and the ceiling ceilings in two rooms had collapsed since then Tichana and her do- daughter have mostly spent uh, their time in the basement on March 13 at 4 uh, A.M. Air bombardment began. Her husband opened the basement and quickly gave Tatiana the dog. Before he could close the cellar tightly, he covered it with his body. They no longer heard his voice. They still do not have his death certificate because all hospitals, all morgues were destroyed. The child shouted over the body of her father. Tatiana still could not believe that her husband was gone. Then they spent five days in the bomb shelter. After the Russian army entered the shelter, Tatiana realized that her daughter and parents needed to be taken out as soon as possible. The Russian army robbed me of my husband, my daughter of her father, my parents of, of their son. We have nowhere to return. All the houses are destroyed. I hope I can be reborn again, she says. Yeah, this is it, and uh, we have another testimony from uh, Mariupol. Maybe I will, will read it uh, in in our next podcast, or you will just check it on our on our website. But this is this is what's going on, and again, the new genocide, the new genocide, and the new war crimes, and we don't know how much time it will take because. Because Ukrainians are brave, but uh, to make a counteroffensive, it's not that that uh, it's not easy. That it's easy. not that easy to kick them out of uh, of places where they are stationed. But let's hope for the better. On of course, and we hope, we all hope, and we work for it. Uh, Ukrainian society all works for the victory uh, and for Ukraine to be victorious. This is a Ukraine World podcast explaining Ukraine. This series is brought to you together by Internews Ukraine and Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Tetiana Harkova and myself, Vladimir Yermolenko. Uh, follow us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube and SoundCloud and everywhere else that you uh, get your podcasts. Um, and you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Uh, follow us, uh, stay with us and stand with Ukraine.